Good morning, Redeemer Church. Let me pray. Um, God, just thank you for worship this morning. And I was struck by that line uh, that we will be transfixed on your face when you come back. And it just made me imagine what your face looks like. I pray we would see, God, that we would see your expression toward us. Amen. Well, that's what we're doing here, fighting for joy, fighting to see God. And uh, there will come a day when he comes and... We see face to face, and I don't know. It's gonna be, it's gonna be rich. I used to make fun of people that say that's rich. You know, it's like that's like the whitest thing you can say. You know, like that or like game set match. It's like, which is what Jesus said from the cross. All right, that's enough. Let's just let's go. Um, we want to be a people of invincible joy. That's the vision because we have an invincible God who has done great things for us. Right, and this doesn't depend on us. We don't have to be experts in everything. Uh, John Piper, years ago, made this comment. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not people who have mastered many things, but people who have been mastered by a few great things. If you want your life to count, do you want your life to count? And here's the thing, you could do small things. It could be small things like rocking the cradle. I read this poem this weekend. It's called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. It says, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. I just love that because the dignity it gives to mothers. Um, But it also just shows how this small act of service, like raising a baby, rules the world, right? So we may be called to go on mission to Afghanistan and be beheaded for that. Yeah, but there are many, many ways to glorify God. Do you want your life to count? If you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on for centuries onto eternity, you don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches. You don't have to come from a fine family or a fine school. You have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging obvious, simple, glorious things, and be set on fire by them. And so we're looking at these things in the book of Hebrews. It's really all over the scriptures. And it's basically who Christ is and what he's done for us. Number one, that Christ has died for us. We sing about that. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, right? I can hardly believe that. Right? This is why Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we would have strength in the inner man to comprehend with all the saints the love, the height and breadth and depth and width of the love of God because we scarce can take it in. That what? What did he do on that cross? My burden gladly bearing. He did it with joy. That's the look on his face. Gladly bearing burden. <laughs> he bled and died to take away my sin. That's... Number one, Christ died for us. Number two, he's coming. He's coming for us. 
When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, that's us shouting, and take me home with joy shall fill my heart, and then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Like, right? So Christ died, he's coming, and we live in between those two realities. And there's another reality there, and it's this, Christ is with us. He sends us into the world as missionaries. He says, lo, I am with you till the end of the age. There's a few great things. It's finished. He's coming. He's with us. And so we want to lean into those realities. And yes, it's good to do Bible study sometimes. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to study Hebrews. This book, the way I've described it, has been nipping at my heels for years because I often reference it, and I'm always stunned. I'm like, all right, let's just, let's just go. Let's lean into it. A little bit of context. Um, this book was written to Hebrews, Jews, who had, in the first century, right, become Christians, right? So these are people that grew up Jewish, studying the Old Testament, following the Old Covenant, and then became Christians or set free from that. And they're facing a temptation, which is to go back because of pressures, social pressures, and persecution. They're facing the temptation to go back. And whoever wrote this book to them is saying, don't do that, Jesus is better. They're tempted to go back, back to the Old Testament. Or the way I'm going to be phrasing it during this series is back to the shadows. Right, so the title for the series is Out of the Shadows. This is where God's calling us, Out of the Shadows. The Old Testament is described as a shadow in the book of Hebrews. This is Hebrews 10. It says this, the law, which is good, it's but a shadow of what? The good things to come. Christ dying, Christ coming, Christ being with us. It's good, but it's a shadow. Don't go back to that. Colossians 2 says it, same way. This was Paul talking about the law. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So today's sermon title, the series is Out of the Shadows. Today we're talking about Christ, the substance. Now here's the thing. We probably are not tempted to go back to the old Mosaic law, specifically in that way. Most of us probably didn't grow up Jewish, and we're not tempted to go back to that. But we are tempted to go back to the shadows. So one of the things that we're going to talk about today is this idea that it's all shadows. It's not just the Old Testament. Why is the Old Testament shadows? And the answer is because it exists. It's all shadows. The sun is a shadow for the sun. Right? It's all shadows. And Christ is calling us out of that. We are here, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in the shadows, but we are not to be of the shadows. We have been delivered. And we can be tempted to go back to the old ways. Old friends, old habits, old relationships, old loves, old comforts. And the book of Hebrews is saying don't. Jesus is better. So today... There's a lot in Hebrews 1 through 4. I'm going to spend two weeks on it, right? So this week, next week. You can spend a lot more time on there. One, I'm not going to. A lot of those themes are drawn out in other places throughout the book of Hebrews. So they'll come up. They'll come up, right? But this week, the substance, right? That Jesus is the substance, and he needs to be 
our hope, right? Next week we're talking about Jesus as the image of God and what that means. But again, this idea that we want to approach the cross and catch a vision of who God is, who Christ is, such that we scarce can take it in, right? That it draws us out of the shadows into his light and that that is our food and that's where we live, right? Some of us are, well, we're all there sometimes to some degree. It's like, yes, I know Jesus died for me, but I, I just want a boyfriend. Not me. I mean, I'm, I'm, stepping, into, I'm stepping into character here. It's like, you know, it's like, but, but he, Christ is your hope, right? And we contend to hope in shadows, right? We are wanting to fight to live more in that than in those earthly hopes. So let's just go Hebrews 1 through 4. I'll go through verse by verse and then step back out, draw a couple themes. Long ago, I love the way it just starts, and that didn't even strike me till this morning when the scripture was being read. It's like, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far away, far, far away, right? Like, but yeah, that's how it starts, like a fairy tale, right? We talked about that. He's telling us something. But part of the uh, reason he says that is that the Hebrews went 500 years without hearing from prophets. God spoke. Long ago, what? And at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He, God speaks, first of all, <laughs> and he's sending prophets. And then there was 500 years of silence. It was a long time since they had heard from God. But the idea here is that God actually speaks. Francis Schaeffer wrote a great book called He is There and He is Not Silent. He speaks. This is one of the foundational beliefs of Christianity. He speaks. Yes, we're ignorant. This, is, this destroys postmodernism that says, well, you can't really know everything because you have limits. You're right. I am limited. He's not. He speaks. He speaks. We can know truth because he's not silent. He speaks. You heard this illustration of people describing, uh, have you heard the elephant illustration when it comes to religion? They say, well, religions are like an elephant. And every religion is just like... A, a person who can only see, they're blind men, and they're only touching part of the elephant, and they're describing it. Oh, one's feeling the leg. It's like, oh, uh, an elephant is thick and strong like a log, and the other's feeling the side. No, an elephant is wide and flat. Another one has the tail. You get it, right? And the, and the illustration goes, well, they're all just describing part of the elephant, right? And that sounds really humble, and oh, yeah, yeah, that's really a humble approach to religion, right? But it's actually really proud because that person is assuming they see the whole elephant. Oh, I know this because I can see the whole elephant. We are humble. We do believe we have truth, but it's not because we claim to have seen the whole elephant. We claim the elephant speaks. It says, I'm an elephant. <laughs> oh, okay. He spoke. We don't have to guess. He's liberated us. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So those prophets were shadows. Great. God sent the prophets. Praise God. Shadows. Of what? The prophet the Son of God, who doesn't just say, listen to me, but look at me. Look at the expression on my face. Look at me. So we'll get more into that when we talk about the image of God. But he is the final prophet. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So he has authority to speak. He is seated above. And that will come again later in the book of Hebrews. And here's one of the things I'm going to focus on today. Through whom also he created the world. So there's the world out there, shadows. It's shadows. 
And Christ is the substance through whom the world was created. He's above it. He's beyond it. He's not a shadow. Everything came through him. The creation is contingent. That means it's fleeting. It, Christ is incontingent, which means he's not dependent on anything. He just is. There's a word in theology called aseity or aseity. It means self-existence. Like there's just they're not. They don't need anything. I need water. I need. I need all kinds of stuff. Breath. I need God. The world needs God to exist. It's contingent on Him, on Christ. Christ is incontingent. And again. He goes on, the radiance and the exact imprint of his nature. I'm going to skip that because I'm going to preach on that next week. But again, you hear this idea. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. It was made through him, and it is sustained by him. It's not like he just made it, and then it's running on its own. This is not deism, right? Some distant watchmaker that just wound up the universe, and now it works. He spoke it into existence. He speaks it into existence. He is doing that right now. He speaks the world into existence and sustains it. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. This is what I was talking about, him dying on the cross for our sins. I'm not going to major on that theme right now. That's going to come up a lot in the book of Hebrews. And actually, this last verse about angels, I'm going to punt on that one until next, the next passage because... Chapter or verses 5 through 10 really get into this idea of his relationship to angels. So here's what we're going to do today. Christ is the substance, right, as opposed to the shadows. I have this whole portion in here about general ways to view the world, like dualism and monism and all that. And I'm going to punt on that, but I'm going to do a podcast on this, and I want you to listen to it because what I want to do is refute them. I want you to understand why what we're saying here about Christ is not just nice for the heart. It's intellectually rid. Um, it's true. It holds together. It's logic. It's rigorous. All right? But I don't have time to do that today. But here's the idea, basically, is that Christianity is a dualistic religion. And it means this. There is this, which is not God, and there is God. And we are separate. There, Christ existed before the world began. Right? This is not like pantheism where we say this is God, all is God. No, he is God. And the world was made through him. At one point, at one point the world did not exist. Now there's a little twist to Christian dualism, and it's this. The two shall become one. So it's like a dual, like Christ entered the world and the church will enter Christ. We're going to be carried up into that, made partakers of the divine nature. So it's this temporary dualism where we will be one with him. The book of John, another great <laughs> opening. In the beginning, John says that knowing that his Jewish audience is going to hear the beginning of Genesis 1. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. So when John says in the beginning, he's taking them back to the creation. And he says what? In the beginning was the word. The Greek word there is the logos. What is that? What is that? It's the meaning. It's what holds everything together. It's the, it's the truth. It's why does the world work? Because philosophers back then were like, Just, why, does, why does everything work? Why can you understand me? 
Why does it, what holds things together? And they called that the Logos. And John said, in the beginning was the Logos, and it was with God, and that Logos was God. So he's saying, he's talking about Trinity here. And then he switches from it to he was in the beginning with God. This Logos is a person. So there's that dualism, right? There he is out there, the Logos with God. And then here comes that creation. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then him entering that, the word, this Logos became flesh and dwelt among us and they saw his face. And how did they describe it? Glory. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. He, God has spoken in His Son. Right? Because the other, the other prophets speak in shadows. It's true, but it's partial. Who is this man of sorrows you talk about that will come and bear our sins? And then in these last days, God spoke through His Son. Here I am. Here I am. We behold glory, full of grace and truth. <laughs> and then here's that other step, right? The union. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to be united with that, right? To live in now two worlds. We're between two worlds. We're here, but we're not of it. We've been united with Christ, and he will come with shout of acclamation and bring us home. But we're here. So high hopes, huh? Sounds like a fairy tale. We should have high hopes. We're made for high hopes. Sometimes my kids will say something like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. I'm like, that's it? That's your hope. We have daddy issues. You know, you underestimate the power of prayer. Jeez, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not kidding. I do do that kind of thing. It's impossible to have a conversation at my house, <laughs> you know. Like my wife heads out to the store. She's like, uh, I'll be back in a minute. I'm like, Lord willing, you boast in your arrogance. Such boasting is demonic. <laughs> Amen. So, so we're created for, right? But we settle for low hopes. We settle for shadows because we have low hopes. That's kind of one way to describe sin. When you think of sin, you can think of sins, the bad things we do, right? Stealing, lying, gossip, sexual impurity, neglecting our duties, being selfish, greedy. But this, and that's true. Those are sins. Or even doing the right thing for the wrong reason. I think most of us get that. We can use people. We can you know, get married just so that she can serve me, whatever. Like, we do good things for wrong reasons. Um, but those are activities but there's symptoms of a deeper problem, which we call sin, right? There's sins, these activities, manifestations, and there's a condition, a sin. And you can describe that in different ways. Today, I'm describing it as trusting in shadows. And I'll get that from the book of Romans. It's the way Paul describes sin. Describing humanity, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the substance for images, for the shadow. Sin is idolatry. Sin is trusting in the shadows instead of the substance. 
family, lovers, career, relationships, success, art, politics, maybe even religious shadows. Like I said, most of us probably won't go practice Judaism per se, but we go back to justifying ourselves. We go back to try to cleanse ourselves, to bargain with God, to purchase the divine. We can go back to that. We live as though it's not finished. Live as though his, like he's not smiling at us. And there's signs. How do we know? We all do it, okay? So here's the thing. We're all there to some degree. Sometimes to a crippling degree. Sometimes not, but it's there. We all trust in shadows. So where is that in your life? Signs that you are doing that. Well, when those sins manifest, those sin behaviors, they're a sign that there's shadow activity going on. There's something you're trusting in, something you're hoping in, and so you lie. But when we experience fear, anger, imbalance, or apathy, right? So Christ is calling us out of that, out of those low hopes, grasping at shadows, This is the way, this, is, this will be familiar. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Right? It's not that we're just so wrapped up with passions and we need to chill out. No, it's that our desires are weak. We're satisfied with shadows. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine, right? Scarce can take it in. What is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea? We are far too easily pleased. So out of the shadows to what? To Christ, the substance. Here we hear that he created the world, right? And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1 puts it this way, For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So let's talk about those things, through Him and for Him. They come through Him, right? So they're separate from Him. He created them. They are contingent. He is upholding it with the word of His power. You are not a necessary being. Here's what I mean. Like, God is a necessary being. He can't not exist. We don't have to exist. You think, well, I'm made now, I'm created now, I'm an eternal being who will live forever. Yeah, if God sustains you, you're not a necessary being. There's not another God now. If God stops talking us into existence, we disappear. That's how shadowy we are. It's not that just we would fall over dead. He upholds us by the word of his power. In him we move and have our being. If he determines it's over, we don't just go on our merry way. Oh, thanks, God, we don't need you anymore. Like, there is no other way. He's the sustainer of life. In him we move and have our being. That's how contingent we are. That's how substance he is. Another way I've put it before is, you know, I imagine us as being God's lucid dream. You know what a lucid dream is? A dream when you're aware of the dream and you can even control it. Like, 
That's how contingent we are. We are in the shadows. And He is the substance. Shadows are wispy. Right? Try to grab a shadow. You can't grab one. That's the analogy, right? You say, yeah, but I can grab my kid. Can you? Like, really? Can you grab your marriage? Can you grab your kid? Can you hold that? Can you hold your career? Can you hold your wife? Many of us have tried or are trying right now. And many of us have learned the shadows. Now all we have is Christ. They're wispy. Shadows are wispy. I've said before, so Jesus died on the cross, resurrected, came back, walked among the disciples. There was an incident where he suddenly appeared in a room where they were, right? So he walked through the walls. And the way I've put it is, yeah, he walked through the walls not because he was wispy, but because walls are wispy. He's the substance. He'll walk right through the wall. It's all shadows. Again, C.S. Lewis, in the book The Great Divorce, describes this. It's a field trip from purgatory to heaven. And it's these basically unglorified beings visiting heaven and encountering the substance. Right? And so this being is on a bus trip to heaven, and he's with these other people, and they all seem normal to him. And then when they get there, he says this. Now that they, his fellow passengers, were in the light, they were transparent, fully transparent. They were, in fact, ghosts, man-shaped stains on the brightness of that air. One could attend to them or ignore them at will as you do with the dirt on a windowpane. I noticed that the grass did not bend under their feet and even the dewdrops were not disturbed. Then... Some readjustment of the mind or some refocusing of my eyes took place, and I saw the whole phenomenon the other way around. The men were as they had always been, as all the men I had known had been. It was the light, the grass, the trees that were different, made of some different substance, so much solider than things in our country that men were ghosts by comparison, Moved by a sudden thought, I bent down and tried to pluck a daisy, which was growing at my feet. The stalk wouldn't break. I tried to twist it, but it wouldn't twist. I tugged till the sweat stood out on my forehead, and I had almost lost the skin off my hands. The little flower was hard, not like wood or even iron, but like diamond. There was a leaf, a young, tender beech leaf, lying in the grass beside it. I tried to pick it up. My heart almost cracked with the effort, and I believe I did just raise it. But I had to let it go at once. It was heavier than a sack of coal. And as I stood, recovering my breath with great gasps, looking down at the daisy, I noticed that I could see the grass not only between my feet, but through them. I also was a phantom. Who would give me words to express the terror of that discovery? Now, there's a terror there. We're wispy. The good news is he's not. He's the substance. So shadows are wispy. And shadows suggest something, right? You see my shadow, you go, oh, there must be something there. They're suggestive, right? The shadows suggest Christ. The shadows suggest Christ. All right, so back to that hymn, How Great Thou Art. Listen to this. Oh, a love text for my wife. 
It's the shadow. Whatever. <laughs> oh. So this hymn talks about encountering the creation and worshiping the creator. That's what's supposed to happen. He walks through the shadows, and he goes, it suggests something. Shadows suggest. When through the woods and forest glades I wander. So there's the woods and the forest, right? And hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. He's hearing the shadows. And when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, he's got the vision, right? He's on top of the mountain looking at the earth. And hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. When I see all that, what? What happens? I think of the substance. My heart is drawn from shadow to substance. Right? What does he do? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Not to the creation, to the creator. Not to the shadows, to the substance. All these shadows suggest. The shadows bear his mark. Right? Like my shadow bears my mark. The shadows bear his mark. Right? Let me go down that a little bit. All that exists bears his mark and suggests him. Your lover is a shadow of his love. Your prophets are a shadow of his prophetic nature, the prophet. Your preacher is a shadow of the preacher. Your friendships are a shadow of his. Your wealth is a shadow. Name the thing. I was talking with a man about this. Years ago, we went on a trip where we went to a conference, and the conference was about how Christ is the center of everything. Well, mostly they were talking about he's the center of the Scripture, which is true. And I'm going next level like, yeah, that's because the Bible exists. Okay, everyone just relax. Um, But I was talking about you can preach anything. He was like, you can preach this fork? I said, yeah, this fork suggests Christ. Why do you use a fork? To eat. But why do you use a fork to eat? I don't want to get my hands dirty. Why don't you want to be dirty? Why do you want to be clean? It didn't have to be this way. Crocodiles just get dirty. But God gave us this idea of clean. Why? It's a shadow. It's a shadow. Christ, the true and better fork. It just is. He is the substance. Even light is a shadow. Look at that. <laughs> Not a light. The cast a shadow? It's a shadow. Of what? Him. In Revelation, the book of Revelation at the end of history, there's no need for the moon or the stars or the sun. Why? He is the light. The sun is a shadow. This is how substance he is. That even the lights are shadows. And also, we are going to be brought into that because Christ can grab a shadow. Oh, I'm a shadow. Grab me. Take me. I can't hold my kids, but he can hold his. And he's bringing us into that, the joining, to be made solid and one with him. I'll finish with this. This is Paul describing that in 1 Corinthians 15. The transformation from shadow to substance. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood, shadow, cannot inherit the kingdom, the substance. Nor does the perishable, the shadow, inherit the imperishable, the substance. Oh, that's bad news. But behold, I tell you a mystery. There's that poem again. It's a fairy tale. 
Oh, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which means we won't all die before Christ comes. But we shall all be changed. And this is, there's many changes that we need to experience, right? Character, growth, and holiness. But he's talking about our essence. We will be different in essence. This isn't just like, oh, same body that doesn't get sick. No, listen to this. You shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body will put on the imperishable, and this mortal body will put on immortality. We will be finally, decisively brought out of the shadows into the substance. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's it's just a couple of verses in Hebrews, right? So next week we'll come back and dig into He is the radiance of the glory of God. So for now, let's linger here. I'm going to invite the response team up, musicians and communion servers. And we're going to worship. We're going to worship God. We're, we're leaning into another world, Right? Empowered by the Spirit, where again, there's this fusion that's happening, right? That we're here in the Shadowlands, but God has come to us. He's put a Spirit within us, and we are being carried, brought, ushered home. So we sing and we celebrate that. It's also an opportunity to give, to give to God, to support this mission. Should be a text option available on the screen for you to do that. And it's just an opportunity to respond to everything, right? Our wealth is a shadow, right? So it's not our hope. It's a confession to God. Here, God, here's, use this. Bless it. Multiply it. <laughs> here's a couple pebbles. May they echo on into eternity. If you believe that God has revealed a word for you, a message, an encouragement, or a Prophecy for the church, we ask that you would submit that to Glenn here in Cedar Rapids and the MC in Cedar Falls, and we'll discern together uh, if that's for us today. And we'll take communion. Hmm. Yeah. So, again, a time to come and remember what Christ did when he made purification for sins, that he gave his body, that he gave his life, that he entered the shadow lands, right, and absorbed the curse for us so that we could be brought into the substance. So we'll eat and remember Christ, sitting with his disciples, encouraging them to remember him in this way, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So God, thank you. Um, we are weak. Thank you that you remember our frame. And uh, you come for us. So I pray we'd have a vision of your face today, God. And it would be healing. Amen.